So if you, I'm, uh, you guys, have you read through the whole book, the, um, you know, God Guides book? The, yeah. Yeah, there's some really good stories, you know, and sometimes you'll just get a, a word. I think I'll just share one of the stories that's really stuck with me over the years, and it has to do with the, the young guy, early 20s, coming to to uh, Mary Gee and saying, hey, uh, can you help me go college? <laughs> and she's, you know, I get the picture, watch, it's like, she's got the side eye look going on, like, are you kidding? I'm a missionary, you think I can pay your way to school? You know, but she's so gracious and kind, you know, you can see all that in the story. She says, well, let's, let's, let's have a quiet time of prayer. And she explains it to him. And they go pray. And they're in there for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And it's really, that is a real challenge to get quiet for 10 to 15 minutes and just try not to, you know, have a conversation going on in your own head, right? And, and so she's um, there. And after about 10 minutes or so, um, she interrupts and says, you know, um, have you heard anything? Did something come up? She's, he said, well, my uncle that I've never met, and it's, that's it. You know, like he, it's a broken relationship with his dad and his brother. And she said, well, the Lord just gave me, blessed are the uh, persecuted, something along those lines. And so she said, well, just keep asking the Lord and seeking the Lord, and he'll direct you. I don't know what it means. And sometimes, and I'm bringing that up, sometimes you get a word and it doesn't make any sense. And you just kind of wait and keep seeking and, and asking the Lord for clarification or, or for confirmation, whatever the situation might be. Well, you roll the clock forward in that situation, three months later, uh, he gets a ticket. The Lord shows him that he needs to go visit this uncle that he's never met. And he gets a, you know, this is, I think, I assume back in the 40s or 50s. He gets a ticket and it takes a bus 45 minutes to an hour away from where they're at, knocks on the door, introduces himself, I'm your nephew, and uh, what are you doing here? You know, he said, well, I just felt like the Lord told me to, you know, come and, you know, hi. And he says, well, come on in. And he ended up telling him what was going on. Long story short, there's a reconciliation that takes place between the two brothers, and he ends up paying his nephew's way through college. He didn't have any. Own, he didn't have any children. So, you know, that's kind of a crazy thing that can happen, like that. So it's just a practice to to do. And so it, maybe tonight when we were doing that, if that's what you do, is you just simply come before the Lord and ask Him a question, and then just wait. And and he may speak a, something to you, or he may not. You may have an impression about something. But don't don't give up on the question. Just keep, he will interact. You just never know how he's going to do it. So we actually have a story about how God interacts here tonight. So you know, in Hebrews 11, 32, we continue our thing. We're gonna. We are gonna get through these this section. <laughs> and it's I just find it so uh, encouraging to 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 really 
not to just gloss over and blow through things just because you want to accomplish it. Oh, we want to get through that book. I want the book to get through me. You know, I think that's some, what's important why you're reading through the Bible. I mean, um, in chapter 11, verse th- th- 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, also of David, Samuel, and the prophets. So, time would fail me, says the writer. Well, in one sense, time's not failing us. We've got time to go back there. And that's what we've been doing. We covered uh, Gideon, we've covered Barak. Tonight we'll try to do Samson and Jephthah, if the Lord would. So let's go back to... Uh, chapter 13 and let's look take a look at Samson's life judges 13 now, I kind of wonder if the writer was a little bit dyslexic because I like order and if you've noticed this <laughs> that it, it, it well maybe it's just me but you know um as you go through Judges, you know, you have uh, Gideon after Deborah and Barak, but that's not how he listed it. He did Gideon then Barak, and then he's doing the same thing with, with Samson and Jephthah. Jephthah's in chapter 12, you know, 11 and 12, and then you have, you know, Samson in 13, 14, 15, 16. It's like, wait, what, you know, what's the problem? What's the deal going on there in Hebrews? But, but that's a digression. I just just wanted to point that out. <laughs> but here, uh, in chapter 13, we have how Samson came about. Again, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren, and you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink any wine or similar drink, and do not eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, no, drink no wine or similar drink, and nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to us come again and teach us what we shall do for the child who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, 
Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? And so the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. That she may eat anything, not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or summer drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we'll prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah said, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And so Manoah, Manoah took the young goat with grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened that as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Noah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah and his wife, Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor uh, would he have told us such things as these at this time. And so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him as at Mahinath and Dan uh, between Zorah and Eschatol. This is a interesting stories. We won't go through all the chapters here, but I thought it was important to read through at least because it lays the groundwork of some things that are important when it comes to faith. You know, out of weakness we're made strong. That's the list that we as we go through the rest of the chapter there of Hebrews is those verses, and I think Samson in some ways is the is a picture of the, uh, a gifted anointed person who can't quite overcome his sin nature. And I find this one of the most interesting things in life. I have witnessed over the years some people that have really incredible gifts from God, and yet they end up um, doing things that are so carnal that it, it's, it's almost, um, it's just indescribable. How could someone be so anointed by God, but on the other hand, be so carnal as to live in sin? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, and so when you read through the life of Samson, uh, you realize that um, there, is, uh, there are no perfect vessels. There's no human beings that are, are without sin. And it is mercy and grace that uh, God uh, relates to to us and through us so often. Sometimes we equate, we have to, uh, we sort of equate perfection with usefulness. In other words, if I'm not really doing the best I can, well, then you can 
be pretty much rest assured that God's really not going to use you because, after all, you're too carnal. You know, we sort of, uh, I think that's a natural disposition that we can have when it comes to uh, the operation and, and, and the work of God. Uh, what's, I think it's important for us to understand that the gifts and callings of God are without uh, revocation. He's not going to revoke the gifts that he gives to people just because they fall into sin. And so, uh, but that doesn't really register with us as deeply maybe as it should. Well, you sinned. I mean, after all, uh, why should God continue to use you? You're a sinner. You've sinned away the day of grace. Why should he continue? He should take that gift away from you. <laughs> I mean, that's sort of how we measure things out, right? And I don't think that's, uh, that's not necessarily how the Lord works. It's on. It's unfortunate because though the grace of the gift is still there, it taints the work. It bring it like David was called into a high position, anointed singer, anointed warrior, and yet what he did in his flesh brought reproach to the to God and brought caused the enemies of God to blaspheme, and that person who's been anointed and gifted will stand before God and be judged according to those things. But it doesn't take away from the gift or or, or what good that God wants to do through that person with that gift. And so we just have to let God be God and people are who they are. And that's sort of how I've sorted it out over the years. But he is a picture of truly someone who is made strong out of weakness. And it's really easy to see his shortcomings. I mean, you know, they're just, their warts are just very evident here. He wants what he wants. He's not very careful about the vow that, that's upon his life. Uh, and that was to be required. It looks, as we've read here, it looks as though it should be a lifelong, it's a lifelong vow. And, and sometimes when we think about our flesh, there are times that we have it under complete control. And we're not, we don't, we're not battling it. It just, it's, we've, we've, we've learned how to crucify it. But then there are other times it just, it seems like it's just out of hand, you know, and we just can't keep it crucified. So it should, seeing, and what I'm getting at here is seeing Samson's life should give us all hope that God doesn't use perfect vessels, but he used vessels that he's cleansed and washed and he's got a purpose and his purpose is very important. And he gifted you, and he gifted you and I both, to accomplish something that's very important to him. He, you know, he, he's really not very disciplined in his life at all. He now sees this woman, and I don't know if she's, you know, she's probably some beautiful woman that he, it appears to me as we read through the next chapter here, chapter 14, and, I'll, and if you're familiar with the story, you can follow along here. But it appears to me that she's a knockout. There's no relationship as far as uh, I know that family, they know our family. It's just, wow, Dad, would you get that girl for me? That's the one I want. Well, she's not Jewish. You, you can't really be doing that, Samson. I mean, we're supposed to stay within our tribes and within the nation of Israel. And she's a Philistine. I don't care. I want her. So this tells me something. Now, as we look back in chapter 13, we see there's some things that are, I think you can kind of pick up on that I think are important. Um, number one, 
God chooses weak people. The down and outers, you know, a broken reed he'll not break, a smoking flax he'll not quench. He is drawn to weakness. He's drawn to those who are sort of disenfranchised, however you want to say it. And this woman, every time I read in the scripture where there's barrenness, it always there's always an indication that God has something special in mind. And and he's drawn to that weakness. And and apparently Manoah's wife, you know, she's they've suffered a number of years without that. And if you couldn't have children and that's sort of still that way, if you're barren and you can't bear children in that culture especially, it's like you're being you've been cursed by God. It's really a a, a negative thing, you know, for lots of reasons. And um and so the Lord appears to her. Now, you think, well, why didn't he appear to Manoah? I mean, you know, it's almost like in this story, to me, it's almost like the angel Lord, you're not as important in this message as she is. And I think it, and without reading a whole lot into it beyond this, I think, huh? Twice, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's something there. <laughs> exactly. Because... Think of the input that moms have that dads don't. I mean, this is a lifelong commitment of the Nazarite vow. She had specific instructions given to her. You're not supposed to eat anything of the fruit of the vine. So she, so it makes sense why the angel of the Lord would address her so twice coming to her and and then communicating the same message uh, again to Manoah. Um, this uh, he will phrase here. He will begin to deliver Israel. So there's an indication that uh, you know. Think about this. They'd already been hassled for about twenty years by the Philistines, and and God is God is coming to the to the aid of the people. We think you know as soon as we pray, God should answer. Well. He cares about every one of the tribes. He sent a, a judge from each to each, you know, from each tribe to do their deliverance, and he's going to do it in, in, here in the tribe of Dan, in a, in a most unusual way. Let's put our focus upon this man of God, uh, this angel of God. His accountants was awesome, and um, I, she's like, hey, I met this, I met this prophet. She's she doesn't really think that he's divine necessarily. He just all of a sudden just shows up on the scene and he's got a message, which was not out of the ordinary in that culture that there were there were prophets. And I didn't ask his name, and man, he was just incredibly awesome, you know. And so you know, of course, that got her husband's attention, and she he she communicated that message, and of course, Noah Manoah prayed. Uh, and he he got an answer to his prayer and got the same message by uh, having a revisit by the angel of the Lord. And again, I just um, uh, think how important it is how the angel of the Lord drove that message home. May the make the woman let the woman observe what I've told her. That is just that is profound, because, and I think. And I don't know if this is necessarily the case, and you guys may have some ideas. 
I think he was uh, cute as a button. They didn't have any kids. So I'm of the opinion they spoiled this little guy rotten. <laughs> because, <clears throat> I mean, could you imagine going all those years and then you have this incredibly gifted child who, who, who I think he has a side that he's fun. I think he's a fun guy. He, he, apparently he likes to tease. He likes jokes. And he's pretty strong. Kind of a handy to have the guy around, right? <laughs> and mom is going to be the one who really puts these things in his heart and makes sure that he, this command from the angel Lord is observed. And so I think there was some there was some slippage, if you will, if you will. I don't think Manoah stepped up to the plate. What should, what? And I'll ask you guys: What should have been the reaction? of his father when he wanted to marry that beauty queen of the Philistines. What would you have done? If you were the dad, what would you have said? What would you have done? I'm just curious. Makes you wonder if he's a little bit afraid of her. Oh, you think he's intimidated? He's big. He's Let me ask you this. What if, what if he wasn't like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger? What if he was just like an ordinary guy? It was the Spirit of the Lord that came upon him and he could do those things. Which is why it was a shock to everybody and why they had to know the like, secret. Yeah. Mighty Mouse, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, he he could have been a you know we have the pictures our Bible pictures right the little Bible illustrated Bibles <laughs> he's a muscle man but anyway go ahead Ed <laughs> knowing that, that God's hand was upon him yeah God has a plan not knowing whether that's part of the plan that he would marry into the Philistines mm. and take a wife of the Philistines that's interesting and begin delivering because it says it says. Mm -hmm. I like this line. She looks good to me. Yeah, oh, yeah. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against Philistine. So, not knowing what the plan is, you know, I mean, yeah, so many might have said against Rahab. Oh, no, she can't be part of it, you know. You know, that doesn't, okay, so let's kind of compare this other concepts and thoughts we all have human choices we're given that and we're responsible for those choices what's evident here is that God's going to use the choice that's made I don't think it was the right choice but God's going to use it and and so all things can work together for the good that's one of the promises that we have and and this whole thing was going to work out. I think there were some there's some things that needed to work out in in Samson's life where he's like, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. This whole thing works out in chapter 14. And, you know, we'll just skim it here. But he it, in my, okay. They, they, let's just give Samson what he wants. By the by the way, did you, did you ever think about what the name Samson means? Literally means little son. <laughs> so it's kind of like you know 
these big guys that go by tiny. <laughs> it's kind of potentially one of those situations. Who knows? Um, but you can see the way he reacts to this wife that he is going to marry, but then is he gets so angry that they found out his riddle because they threatened his espoused wife that he just leaves. He leaves in a fit of anger and he's, he goes away uh, because he's mad that they, they, you know, got in, they worked his wife to be, so to speak, to get the information to solve the riddle. And he's ticked. I mean, I mean, that tells you what kind of commitment he must have had towards that lady, the poor, the poor girl, you know. Um, so why would you, um, you know, you leave her for for that? I, I just think he's he's a little bit spoiled. He's a little uh, character deficient, if you will, um, for whatever reason. But again, you know. God doesn't use perfect people, and I'm not trying to, you know, eviscerate him in any way. Uh, there's a lot of admiration there in some ways. The guy's fearless. The guy's absolutely fearless, and God is using him. Um, chapter, did you guys see anything there in 14 you want to share? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that part of it. Um, I mean, he, as strong as he was, mm -hmm. but then it's at the same note, it's going to look at you or me and go, there's no way he's going to pick that thing up and carry it around, yet we do it all day long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're a lot stronger than we appear to be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Imagine. Because they were, I mean, all throughout the story, that's what they're trying to figure out, what's going on there, right? Yeah. You know, the whole idea, I mean, this guy's a teaser. I mean, he goes down, you know, the way he responds. And, and um, you know, he, it was apparently no big deal for him to gather all those uh, foxes together. <laughs> I, mean, you don't catch a fox. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that was alone, I, think. I mean, it's just, I, I find this guy uh, hilarious. Oh, get those guys. I mean, this guy just... You know, tit for tat, man. Here we go. And God's going to use it. You know, that's Paul's, you know, chapter 15. Um, they're going to get vengeance. And, uh, you know, it's a whole, all, this whole revenge thing's going on And as uh, as we read there. You know, um, he will begin to deliver. God wanted the, the big picture. It's not about Samson, per se. It's not about Manoah and his wife, per se. It's about God's plan and purpose. God always has a bigger picture in mind than we can ever imagine. He loves his people, and they were in terrible bondage. They're at a technological disadvantage to the Philistines who had chariots and iron. If you read other places that if they wanted a Maddox or something sharpened, if they had one, where did they have to go to get it sharpened? They had to go 
you know, down through the Shefala, the little valley of where they grew their crops. That's what they were fighting over, by the way. So you have the hill country of where the Israelites were at, and then you have, you know, the Shephelah, the the valley that's rich, fertile soil, and then you have the coast. And the Philistines were coastal people, but they were moving into that. They were stealing land. They were taking over. And so, but they had to go through that to get to the place to get their stuff sharpened and, and things taken care of. So they were technologically, they, they would be kind of, and this is kind of a crude way of putting it, but you get the idea that they look condescendingly down upon the Israelites, a bunch of mountain people, you know, just disdained them because they were the way they were, religiously cultish, you know. So we roll the story forward in chapter 16. Uh, <laughs> city gates aren't a problem for Samson. <laughs> just <laughs> new, new rope's not a problem. Foxes aren't catching foxes. It's not a problem. Jawbone, hey, that works as good as anything. I'll just take out a few guys with that. <laughs> but in chapter 16, Delilah is a problem. And this will be his Achilles heel here. He, again, just bad company. He, he, is, not, he is not staying to, you know. So the, his first wife was killed. Yeah, she was burned. And the family. Yeah, I mean, he's, now he's, really no, he's an angry man. He's an angry man. Here's, and God's going to use that. Um. But he's got, he's, in, he's you know, Delilah's a, you know, not a, a nice lady. So there's moral issues there. It's bad company. You know, you know, it leads to, it leads to, you know, judge, you know, him falling into the hands of the enemy. But this is how he, we want to end this tonight with her, or him rather, is that God always, God hears the prayer of the broken and contrite he knows when we're really broken he knows when we you know we're crying and convulsive and it's a true brokenness and he comes near that and he hears and you know at the end of the chapter there it's you know strengthen me just this one time and of course he does you know lord remember me oh lord strengthen me Oh, Lord, let me make one final blow. I mean, he uh, he's seeking grace. He knows he's unworthy. He knows he's blown it. He's, there's no justification for, you know, wh- where he's at and what's happened to him. And, and God, you know, answers. I just, it just, I think about this guy and I think how much potential this guy had. And how, how, really, how much more could have been done had he not let his carnal appetites, had he, you know, if he would have really been faithful to the Lord through that Nazarite vow. And not, you know, God could have accomplished great things. He could have, ta- he could have taken out the Philistines without all these other things happening. I mean, I mean, think about it. Yeah, they were for. 
he wasn't a trusted man. He wasn't. They knew he was. It was kind of like he was a a loose cannon or something. <laughs> so they just didn't you could you you could get us in real trouble, buddy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which he's like, well, yeah. It's interesting because when they come to bind him, he's like, "Just swear to me that you won't kill me." And he lets them bind him. Yeah. With the new ropes, and I find that that, that Israel. So it's like I don't. It's very confusing to me. Yeah. What's the will of the Lord? What could have been, and what Israel? They didn't trust him as their leader, who's their you know considered a judge before them. And, this is really confusing as far as well, seeing, seeing what was really the Lord's will. I think that I think, and maybe it's just myself, but I I, I think this really sh- shatters the paradigm mm-hmm. on the people that God uses and doesn't don't, doesn't use. Because you look at pastors, you look at Calvary Chapel pastors, and we've had this discussion before. I mean, there's some pretty rough rough guys, man. I mean, guys that were in prison, drug addicts. I mean, you know, guys are really messed up. Man, they are anointed by God and, and the grace. I mean, this is, I see just grace and mercy personified in, in his life. And, and, and I'm going to real quickly just go over, uh, go back a couple chapters to chapters, uh, chapter 11 and 12 and cover Jetha. We'll never get through Hebrews. <laughs> you know, he was uh, in war with Ammon, the Ammonites. And, um, you know, here's another guy. You know, how can God possibly use this kind of a person? His mother was a harlot. His dad was a Giladite uh, from Gilead. And yet he is a mighty man of valor. This guy grew up... Uh, Warrior. I mean, the guy's just a gifted leader and warrior. And he's got a good dad, but, you know, apparently, you know, for whatever reason, he, he is born of, of a harlot. And that puts you in a pretty disenfranchised position right out of the gate. You know, you're, are, how are you going to be educated? How are you going to... What manners, what kind of disciplines, you know, you know, the formative years, man, are not in the best environment, probably. And so this guy's kind of on his, on his own. And so as a result, he's disinherited. You can't, hey, look, you're not entitled to, now that dad's gone, you're not entitled to this stuff. You know, there's, you hear these terrible stories within families when it comes to divvying up the inheritance. Oh my goodness. It's just, it's brutal. It's painful. And um, so he, he just leaves. <laughs> I'm out of here. Forget it. If you get out your little map in the back of your Bible there, you can see that he, so we're talking about this region on the east side of the Jordan about where Galilee is at. So the east side of the Jordan River, east of the Sea of Galilee in that region. You got Manasseh, you know, Gad and Manasseh, half the tribe of Manasseh and Reuben are on that east side of the Jordan. And uh, so this is where this is sort of taking place. Well, he goes even further east to Tola. And um, then they get into trouble. And who's, who's the best guy they know? Another guy they just ran out of town. 
So they, uh, the leaders go to him and say, hey, look, we need some help. Would you come help us? Well, why? Why should I help you guys? You know, you, you don't want me around. All you want is what I can do for you. I mean, that, isn't that, is, don't, who loves, who wants to have a relationship with someone like that? I only, I only call you or call upon you when I need something. I don't know about you, but that's the way we are. I only knock, knock on your door if I need something from you. Well, how about if you just knock, knock on my door because we want to spend some time together? I mean, there's, I mean, I think about relationships. You know, there's givers and takers. There's people that want what you have or want what you can give them. But beyond that, that's not really friendship. That's you, to me, that's almost like usury. <laughs> You're just using people. And that's not a way to live. You, you know, it's okay to get me wrong. It's, it's okay to ask people for help. And if someone's gifted in some way and they can help you, it's okay to ask that. But is that the only reason that I call upon that person? I mean, it's something to think about here. And it's sort of how you felt. You know, it's like, you just want to use me. Um, you, 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 it's almost like, you figure it out. You do it. You, you're going to get what you know. But he's not that kind of guy, apparently. And he says in verse 27, May the Lord judge between you and... Uh, I like that. And, and this has to do with what was going on. So he takes up, okay, fine, I'll help you guys out. And he's got a band uh, of, of not so good of men, but apparently they're good fighters. And he goes through the history. And we studied this in Numbers. As the children of Israel coming up there, they were attacked uh, by, by Ammon. And so when they came, Moses and, sends Joshua and they clean house. And so he essentially, he really reiterates the history of what happened in that event. And he said, look, it's been that way for 300 years. That you guys, if you wanted that property, you could have come and got it. Why didn't you come and get it during that time? I'm hey, we didn't do this to you. We're not. It's not. We're not in the wrong here. And he lays it out. Well, that didn't go over so good, and they get into, you know, a big. It's war. And that's what happens. But but I like the way he addresses it. He goes through the history. He establishes the truth in all kinds of arguments and all kinds of disputes and things that go on, truth is always what we need to seek. What are the facts? And let the facts take us, whether we like the outcome or the results, it should not be determined whether or not we follow the facts. Follow the facts, put things in order, and, 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 and face it. And this is what the, he does. And they, people may disagree, but when you lay it all out there, may the Lord judge. I love that position. Ultimately, you can't make people f accept the truth. You can't uh, that, that's just that's, that, that's just out of our reach. But I can accept the truth. And I want to be humble enough hopefully to receive the truth if I'm in the wrong. And Lord, you know, let the Lord judge and may he render. And this is honestly, we started out tonight having a little chat before church here we're a little concerned about what went on uh, yesterday and, and continuing to go on for the next weeks or so. And I'm at that point right now. This is how I can, the only way I can possibly process the disappointment and the sorrow that I have in my heart for what's happening to our nation and how the foundations of our nation are absolutely being destroyed by these leftists. It just, it's, just, it's just too much. 
And, and yet I this ministered to me as I studied it. May the Lord judge. It's at the point where, you know, this is, it's out of my sphere of influence. It's out of my sphere. The only thing that I can affect in this situation is my prayer that God would intervene. But may he render judgment upon these unrighteous people. And God knows everything that's going on. He's aware of every fact. I don't need to inform him, but I can remind him, Lord, what can the righteous do when the foundations are destroyed? All we can do is call upon his name. But anyway, that's uh, a, a bit of what went on. And uh, the only other thing I want to touch on, and I'll leave it up to open it up to you uh, here uh, with Jephthah, is rash vows. He gets ready to go into battle, and he said, you know, he makes this rash vow. Whatever, why would he do this? I don't know. Uh, we'll talk about that. He makes this rash vow. Whatever comes out of the gates, you know, when I get home, then I'm going to offer it to you. Well, it ends up being his his only daughter. And uh, just for the record, he didn't, I don't know that he, I don't believe that he offered her as a, a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. I think the whole idea is that she wouldn't be, uh, not be married and she would be, not have children. She would forever be uh, dedicated to the Lord and to his service. Uh, I think that's how I interpret it what happened here. But the point is we have to be careful about vows and especially rash vows. Why did he make that vow? I think that was motivated out of fear. If you've ever been in a situation where you feared for your life and all of a sudden when you're in that situation what do you do? God, if you get me out of this situation I promise. <laughs> Have you ever been in one of those situations? I can remember one time you know, we'll go into it, but it was it was uh, it was below zero, and my car was fuel line was freezing, and I was out in the middle of nowhere. Lord, <laughs> one of those situations. If this doesn't work, I'm in big trouble, uh, and I'm not dressed for as well as I would need to be in that situation when it's that cold. Wind's blowing, below zero, Whew. and so fear. When you're in a your th life threatening situation, and uh, so I'm not passing judgment uh, necessarily on. I'm just saying it's not the right thing to do. Vows, you can make a vow. There's a Nazarite vow, right? You can make a vow, but you, you if you make it, you got to keep it. And so uh, that's one of the takeaways from uh, Jephthah. But it 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 didn't um, it didn't hinder, it didn't keep uh, God from using him. And using him as a, a, to bring deliverance to his people. So I'll just open it up and then we'll uh, have a little discussion here. Any other additions to that? Anybody what anybody got any comments on the speech impediments? <laughs> if you read chapter twelve there and they got it, you know, again, this is the attitude that goes on. I mean the Ephraim Ephraim was really upset because they weren't invited to fight against 
the Ammonites with him. It's like, look, he says, look, I, I invited you, but you didn't come and help me, and I took my life into my own hands. You weren't there to help me. Well, they were mad, and so the, the Ephraim came out against him, and and notice how they sorted this out with the speech. <laughs> it's it's um. Somewhat humorous, other than the fact that forty-two thousand people died because of it. So that's that's not so funny. Um, but verse six. So apparently, they, the Ephraimites, could not pronounce uh, Shibboleth. They had learned and heard it Sibboleth, so they had to cross over the river. And they had a gatekeeper at the river bridge or whatever. And where you can you say Shibboleth? Sibboleth. <laughs> and if he said Sibboleth, it was over. They killed him. I mean, 42,000 people. So that was quite an interesting way to f- fight a battle or take out. But I mean, this the civil unrest and the strife, it's kind of a sad day in Israel that we're taking out our brothers here. Um, and you know, that's, that's, uh, that's what was going on at that point in history. A dark time. Judges is a dark book in that regard. Well, it's interesting to me when it talks about the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Jephthah. And uh-huh. Okay. Time. And it was just in, in the power of battle. I mean, it just like went from here to here to here to here to here. And that's how it's listed as him, the, the power of the Lord coming upon him. Mm-hmm. It was just simply that he just pressed right through the center like butter, you know, of the, of the and that's when he made the vow to the Lord. Um, well, I mean, do you think he would, was it necessary for him to do that? Mm-hmm. To make that vow? Of course not. Absolutely not. Yeah. done in the in, in the in the spirit of victory honestly you know and um I, I i just you know he the spirit of the lord came upon him so that he passed through and you know went all these places and he made a vow to the lord mm-hmm. and, you know i think um it's almost like he i won't say drunk or, but, but he's listed in the book of hebrews as being full of faith and I think in those times of, you know, so that's like, in those times where he's just really being used by the Lord, it's like, it just seems so unlikely. I, I just find this, this whole situation just really odd. And <laughs> that it's like the spirit of the Lord coming upon people has n- almost nothing to do with the people. But then it is because they were filled with faith. Because otherwise it wouldn't be listed as being yeah, well, that's good. That's excellent. And yeah. So I don't understand it. I I don't feel like I, you can just kind of go through this and I mean you know I can make up a dramatic story about it and and you know that but it's like if you're just reading it straight through I'm not so sure that it's it's um it doesn't seem faith filled to me you know not. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand why it's um, why he would have been chosen to be saved, saying that he was full of faith. You know, I don't. I don't know. 
You know, God uses the most least likely candidates, you know. Well, don't you feel that way about our church? <laughs> We're the most likely, least likely candidates for God to use. <laughs> Seeing his life ought to give us hope, right? <laughs> you know, and I mean that in a good way, you know. I mean, we're just plain ordinary people. I mean, you know, it's not, as Paul said, not many mighty, not many noble. You know, that's, that's who we are, and it's okay. We don't need to apologize for that. God uses plain, ordinary people with bad backgrounds, even. <laughs> so that's the good takeaway there. <laughs>